May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This morning, I am going to attempt to preach on the Ezekiel reading. I say attempt because as of right now, I am under the age of 30, and according to some rabbinic traditions and adopted by some early Christians, it is best not to read such a confusing text before the ripe, mature age of 30. Jerome wrote in a letter that the beginning and ending of Ezekiel are involved in so great obscurity that they are not studied by the Hebrews until they are 30 years old. Likewise, Origen explained that Christians have received a practice in which all scriptures should be delivered to boys by teachers and wise men, and that some scriptures, the beginning of Ezekiel among it, should be reserved for study until the last. Well, I'm not a wise man, and I am 26, so here we go. Perhaps I should pray again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Now, while I don't agree with the aforementioned practice, I must admit that reading Ezekiel can take a toll on a person. Ezekiel is not only obscure at times, it is also quite horrific. It is no wonder that most of Ezekiel, outside of today's reading and a few other notable exceptions, does not make it into our lectionary. For nearly all the chapters leading up to today's reading are not uplifting. They do not preach a message of life, they preach a message of death to come. Throughout it all, God charges Ezekiel with prophesying against Israel. O mortal, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. O mortal, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Even the way that God addresses Ezekiel repeatedly as mortal is a reminder of death, an end. An end that Ezekiel must prophesy to his own beloved people. And the reason for this end is that Israel has turned from the Lord and has become wicked. The text tells us that they have taken to idols, taken to wronging each other, to robbery, to ignoring the hungry and the naked amongst them, to oppressing the poor and needy, to charging interest to one another, to extorting the alien residing in their midst, to wronging the orphan and the widow. They have forgotten their covenant and God is rightly angry. And in God's anger, God promises death. 
Repeatedly, God has Ezekiel prophesied that the righteous will be awarded with life and the unrighteous death, and warns that the unrighteous should turn. In chapter 18, for example, God says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, and not rather that they should turn from their ways and live? But when the righteous turn away from their righteousness and commit iniquity and do the same abominable things that the wicked do, shall they live? None of the righteous deeds that they have done shall be remembered for the treachery of which they are guilty and the sin they have committed. They shall die. The message throughout Ezekiel's prophecies are clear. Repent and turn away from transgressions. Turn and live. Otherwise, you shall die. God pleads, why will you die, O house of Israel? And yet, in the midst of the pleading for Israel to turn, God's wrath still pours out. Thus says the Lord, a sword, a sword is sharpened, it is also polished. It is sharpened for slaughter. Cry and wail, O mortal, for it is against my people. It is against all Israel's princes. They are thrown to the sword together with my people. I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their conduct upon their heads. Like I said, it's not a fun read. And all throughout Ezekiel, there is this refrain, you shall surely die, you shall surely die, you shall surely die. And that brings us to today's reading. The hand of the Lord brings Ezekiel to a valley full of bones. Dry, dry bones. The bones of the house of Israel. And Ezekiel is very clear that these bones are very dry. The many who have died have been dead for a long time. This is quite unlike Lazarus's dead body, where you could still smell a stench, where there was still some sign of life, of flesh, even if it's decaying flesh. No, what Ezekiel sees is quite unlike that. The flesh is all gone. The stench is gone. The many lying there carry with them no memory of life. You shall surely die. You shall surely die. You shall surely die. God was faithful to God's promise. And Ezekiel was no false prophet. Can we sit here? for a moment? Can we sit in the valley and imagine what it would be like to be Ezekiel? To see bones all around you? The bones of your neighbors? The ones you went to Sunday school with? broke bread with, to hear nothing, perhaps to wonder, why didn't anyone listen? 
God says, mortal, can these bones live? And Ezekiel has no answer, for the only possible answer is no, they cannot. And yet, as Jesus says, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. It shouldn't surprise us two weeks from now when we remember that our God is a God of resurrection. And we shouldn't be surprised when we learn about the extreme depths of God's mercy and love for us that take God to the cross. The house of Israel did not heed Ezekiel's words. They did not turn, and as God promised, they died. Or to use Paul's words from this morning's readings, their bodies were dead because of sin. And yet, God put the bones back together. God covered them with sinews and flesh and skin, and God breathed life into them. God brought them up from their graves, where hope was gone, where hope was dry, God breathed the spirit of life. Where Israel's faith fails and where the church's faith fails and where our faith fails, God's faith does not. What we deserve, we don't actually get because our God will not let death and evil have the final word. We worship a God who chooses life for us even when we choose death. And it is only by God and through God that we are able to live. God is the only one who can bring about salvation. Our psalmist this morning put it best, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and great power to redeem. It is God who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. God's life-giving act, breathing life into the bones of his people, shows just how far God will go for his beloved. Not even death can separate us from God's love. No matter how much we fail, no matter how dry your faith is, your hope is, nothing, and I really mean nothing, can separate you from the love of God. The same God who will cry out, you are not my people, and cut off completely the house of Israel, will turn around and say, oh my people, I will bring you back into the land. I do want to be clear that what I am describing is not a cheap love. If you sit with the 35 chapters preceding this one, 
that are all about death and destruction, you'll know that sin is death. And God's anger pours out at injustice, particularly when the injustice is caused by the hands of the people who profess to be God's people. God will let us sit in that valley. God even sits with us in that valley, lest we forget that Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. But contained within God's judgment, within God's brandishing of the sword, within the death, is the promise of new life in which we extend the same loving mercy that God shows us again and again and again, in which our spirits cry out with God's spirit at injustice, in which we, like Christ, are anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed. God resurrects us to new life now, just as God will resurrect us to new life in the age to come. Because our God is a God of resurrection. Paradoxically, it is in remembering our death and sitting in death which brings about life. As some of you know, my husband is a hospice chaplain, which is also why he isn't here today, he is on call. And in his experience, some of his patients who have in some way or another encountered death and gone on to live have found a new appreciation and zeal for life. And as I said to you earlier, I'm only 26 and it can be very easy for me to take life for granted. Death feels like a far off reality and I can be quite like those who in the house of Israel said, the vision that Ezekiel sees is for many years from now. He prophesies about a distant future. But it is in experiencing the dry bones in sitting in that valley that we remember how precious life is. This is why before Easter Sunday, we have a whole Lenten season that begins with the words, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. Just like God addressing Ezekiel as mortal one, we have entered into this season marked as dust. Dry, dry dust. Thirsting for new life. My hope is that this Lenten season reminds us of just how great God's love for us is. It conquers the grave, both our physical graves and the graves we find ourselves in because of sin. God's love knows no bounds. God loves you in the valley and God's love for you will bring you out of the valley. <laughs> And as a final note, you never know who God is going to use to prophesy 
in the valley. By my second year of seminary at Duke Divinity School, I was done with seminary, to put it mildly. I was practicing for the LSAT so I could switch into law school. I was frustrated with the church, with religious institutions, and I wanted out. I think part of my frustration was born out of the same kinds of things that God was angry with his people for. I was frustrated that the people of God, the church, seemed no different than the world around it. No more caring for the least of these among them. It was easy for me to forget how many gifts the church had given me. I was also in the beginning stages of an ordination process in the United Methodist Church, where I constantly had to describe the call I felt and my excitement for ministry and my relationship with God, all of which felt non-existent. I was going through the motions describing a love for God that wasn't real to me. If you ask me, mortal, can these bones live? I'd say no shot. And I'd probably add a snarky, do we want them to? But it was in that valley, at that time, in my required classes on Methodist theology of all places, where I heard the word of the Lord in the form of John Wesley's sermons, my required class reading. John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, I found his, his words about God, faith, and the life of discipleship to be life-giving. God used him to prophesy to me in the valley, to breathe new life into me. So if God can use a dead 18th century Anglican to prophesy to my dry bones, God can and will use anyone. Amen.